Welcome, everyone, to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. I am here today with someone who caught my attention a couple weeks ago. I saw a video of hers that was flying around the Internet as she was discussing the concept of privilege and the idea of conservative viewpoint versus the liberal viewpoint and how that affects the black community. And it was kind of an unpopular opinion, if you want to say um, this, which is something I'm obviously very interested in. And so I wanted to find out more about her views and what she had to share. And so we did a Facebook Live uh, shortly after that, which is available on my page. And I will put it up on the uh, Facebook What They Aren't Telling You page uh, soon. And so I wanted to do an audio podcast version so we could cover some of the same topics and go into some other topics and we can have a nice thorough conversation on these same issues and get more of Bevelyn Beatty. I know you guys, many of you listening already know her or following her at this point. And Bevelyn, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And it's funny because you've had to say that a lot lately with all the interviews you've been doing. Thank you for having me. Thank yes. you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Do you decide which way you're going to go? Like, thank you for having me. Nah, <laughs> I just it. It's always winged. Every single interview is winged. I can't do it no other way. I love it. And I had so many people commenting about your beautiful smile and mentioning oh. that. And that's something that definitely shows through. Um, you have this kind of light about you, which I think a charisma that captures people and have have captured a lot of people with uh, a lot of what you're saying. So Amen. on our Facebook Live, we talked a little bit about kind of what brought you into this position. You came from ministry and on missions and discussing your religious aspects with the community and in the process with all of the social issues going on that kind of turned into a discussion with the people to help the people. And I think you hashtag Jesus matters in most of what you do. Your goal is really to kind of encourage like a higher level of thinking, no matter what it is. Yes. 100%. 100%. And I think that's something that's really admirable. That's something I'm really interested in. I always encourage people to be critical thinkers, to not just blindly believe something, no matter what the topic is to mm -hmm. go deeper to be interested in the other side of things and then come to your own conclusion. You don't have to just feel a certain way because everybody else feels that way. Exactly. That's exactly right. Use, use critical thinking to come to an understanding. But again, nowadays people do not have the proper tools. So I guess it's more so challenging them to think higher, but also give them the proper perspective of tools to put two plus two together and make four. Cause a lot of people are coming up with like 36. So now what would be an example of a tool? What kind of tools do you mean? Facts, scripture, history. I mean, all of this stuff plays a humongous part. And really truth, truth has to be the number one tool. Because if you only, if a person only hears one message and focuses on that plight, they will miss the bigger picture, you know? And, and I believe nowadays people forget the bigger picture to really solve the issue. It's like everybody wants to deal with the branch and cut the branch off, but there's a tree with deep roots. And we have to address that first. That makes so much sense to me because a lot of times people are so narrow in their viewpoint. Yeah. Like they cannot get out of their little bubble to see, the, like you're saying, the bigger picture. I'm a big fan of looking at things objectively and zooming out. 
I always say that you have to zoom out to see the rest of what's going on. You cannot just be so stuck in your little bubble that it keeps you blinded to the possibility, yeah. at least the possibility of some other information. You don't have to right away go and believe it, but you have to be open minded enough to think that there's a potential other side to the story. Yes, that is the huge. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of people who who lean with this liberal bend, they do not critically think things through. They hear the message. It sounds good to them. They go for it. Uh, and any type of information that counters that, they don't want to hear it. It's like you can't even teach it to them because when they listen, they listen to respond. They don't listen to understand. Um, and I believe that's why a lot of conservatives, not going to say all, but a lot of conservatives, uh, we, we really take the time to measure things out. And I'm going to be honest with you. What made me a staunch conservative was the fact that I, I go out on the streets and I minister the gospel. And when I hit these liberal cities, I see what liberalism does to a person, what it does to a city. I, I watch it. So the more you get out there, that's why you'll meet a lot of cops. Most cops are conservative. And sometimes they're not even religious. They're just conservative because they're out there on the front lines every day. They see the effects of these liberal programs, and this liberal agenda and what it's doing to our people. And that was going to be one of my questions. I'll lead into that right now. You've mentioned this and, you know, I'll be I'll be honest with you, too. I really did not know much about this when I, you know, originally I would consider myself a Democrat. I voted Democrat, consider myself a liberal my whole life until about six years ago with the medical freedom issue. And as it as it related to parental rights and this mm -hmm. legislation coming in and taking away the right to my daughter having an education in the state of California, that's when I kind of got involved in parental advocacy and politics. And I started seeing Democrats voting down the line, party line, and Republicans were voting to retain parental rights. And so for the first time ever, I was aligning with a Republican viewpoint, which was shocking to me. And with what we've seen with the COVID situation, I found myself also aligning with conservatives on this, not because I was trying to, just my own individual data matched with the messaging that I saw on conservative news networks compared to liberal news networks. And then mm -hmm. again, with the whole race relations issue, it's kind of been the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are in that same boat right now that they kind of thought they were always liberal, but the way liberalism is now is so far to the left that it's kind of taking away what many people thought it stood for. And I think I'm opening my eyes now, too, to this idea of democratic policies created decades ago that have basically hurt the black community, not yeah. helping it. But, but, then they're, but then they're asking for the black vote. Yes. The thing is this. When people just now find out that the Republican Party might just be for the people, it doesn't mean that they just started. It just means we just found out. Because I was in the same boat you were in. Uh, the Democrat Party has never changed. Their gender and their plight has always been the same. But now, as we're going further into time, their tail is hanging, their coattail is hanging, and we're starting to really see the ultimate agenda. And the ultimate agenda is communism. Control. Full-on government control. Now, does this sound radical, what I'm saying? Yes, but I'm going to break it down to you, simplify it so it makes perfect sense. Uh, let's start with socialism, because this is really what Democrats push more than anything now. Socialism. So we want equality for everybody. Uh, we want to vote in governors that can help enforce equality for everyone. So this is what we're going to do. 
we're going to enforce welfare in the neighborhood, okay? For the people who don't have a certain amount of money or their income is a certain way, we're going to enforce welfare. How do we afford to enforce this welfare? This money does not come off of trees. Those who work and pay taxes, we're going to tax them more to give money to the ones who don't have, okay? And we're going to continue to do that for years and years and years, and we're going to continue to implement more and more and more services to them that the working man says, you know what? I think I'll make more money just being on welfare than I would making my own, right? So now you find generations of people who give up capitalism, give up working, and now are 100% dependent on a government, okay? So now down the line, let's just say, and this is a true story in Camden, New Jersey, they wanted to gentrify Camden, okay? Most of the people in Camden, it was the worst city in New Jersey. Uh, most of the people there are predominantly black, and uh, 95% of them on uh, welfare. Don't don't quote my numbers. I'm just I'm I'm being exaggerated, but a, a majority of them on welfare. And so now the the mayor decides I want to gingerfy Camden. I want to bring businesses here and, and and expand. So now he starts to allow people to get these Section 8 vouchers. Usually to get Section 8, which is a a, a rent control program, to where the government pays a portion of your rent. You get a voucher. And then you would just pay the rest, okay? So the government, uh, now all of a sudden, people who've been waiting to get these uh, Section 8 vouchers, 10 years, all of them are getting approved all at one time. And so now uh, he's saying, okay, if you live in Camden, you will only get a $750 voucher. But to live in Camden, at minimum, you're paying $1,000. And if you can afford to pay the $250 uh, left over, for rent after the 750 voucher, you're going to already get disqualified from Section 8 because you make too much money. But he also offers if you move outside of Camden, we will give you $1,400 voucher. So now, guess what happens? All these people that are on the government system are like, all right, cool. Let's just move outside of the city and we'll get a $1,400 voucher. We'll get free rent. And so for him, it doesn't make him no never mind. Tax money is going to pay it anyway. And then he's also going to make a, t- a cut off the top for the businesses he let in and for the gentrification he does to build his own money. And now that's how they control. Does that paint a kind of picture of what, what we're seeing now with the Democrat Party, if that makes a little bit of sense? It's like a plantation all over again. And it's interesting because, of course, many people would say, well, the Democrats that are in office are the ones creating the programs that allow for those who are economically challenged to even exist or survive so thank you to them for doing that but what you're saying is there are puppet strings attached to all of this and it's not unconditional it's conditional it's conditional you know what i like to call it a pimp and hoe effect Mm -hmm. what does a pimp do a pimp gets a girl that's vulnerable obviously probably been abused misused you know probably a couple peanuts short of a full bag and he says listen you're going to come under my wing i'm going to dress you up nice put you on a strip you're going to do x y and z for me you're going to give me all the money you make back to me and in return i'm going to protect you and i'm going to manage you okay so this is exactly what the democrat party does to people who say oh i'm broke i don't have it i i need i need help I'm going to depend on government. Government's going to be daddy. But there's stipulations. You can't get married when government is daddy. You can't make a certain amount of money when government is daddy. And when government tells you to move, you move. Because you're just doing what government say do. 
And I think a lot of people aren't even aware of this because, again, it feels like the Republican Party is so away from the black community because you'll always see white people on average representing the Republican Party. And I've heard people complain mm-hmm. that the Republican Party doesn't do a good job of really appealing to black voters, which I can agree with that, too. And it's funny, if I ever if I ever post something negative about the Democratic Party, I get people go, well, the Republican Party, this, this and this. I'm like, look, just because I'm I'm bringing attention to one issue doesn't mean I automatically support the opposite. I'm just saying I'm bringing attention to the fact that the the Democratic Party could be using the black community and exploiting them for their vote without actually doing anything to improve their life circumstances. Mm, So think about it like this. The Democrat Party, how have they been getting getting the black vote? Welfare. Lyndon B. Johnson, he was the he was the initiator of black people becoming Democrats before that. We were always Republican. Okay. Um, now, let's talk about the, the Republican Party for a second. The Republican Party was founded in 1864, if I'm not mistaken. But the first party was uh, the party that Thomas Jefferson founded, which was the Democrat Party. But that was the only party. Now, the Democrat Party started to lean more with Andrew Jackson for slavery and just really discriminating against blacks on the next level. And a lot of uh, people in Congress, especially white men in Congress, felt like this was wrong. So then they established the Republican Party and blacks helped establish this party. First of all, the Republican Party was designed and established to help blacks and people fight for equal rights and freedom. This is the reason why they were created. And they their, their bend was they wanted to maintain the traditional values of the word of God. Okay. Now, fast forward with 1960s, London Bank Johnson comes in and he says, "Okay, we're going to do a war on poverty. We're going to give black people money and we're going to use civil rights issues as a reason to give the money, as an excuse to give the money. Though y'all are not in need. This is not an emergency. You're not out starving. It wasn't like we just had another COVID issue and everybody needs to get a twelve hundred dollar check. No, this is we're going to implement this. We're going to give those Negroes enough. This is what he said. Not too much, but enough that I have those Negroes voting Democrat for the next 200 years. So now, how do blacks, uh, how do Democrats get the black vote? Welfare checks, they need a check. They need incentives, okay? They need you to play basketball with them. Hillary Clinton, you got to have hot sauce in your bag. Swag. You know, you got to barbecue. You got to have a pit bull. You know what I'm saying? You got to be able to play saxophone on late night. Because, you know, they called Bill Clinton the first black president. Well, how did he get the black community? This man went on a late night show and played the saxophone. And all of a sudden, everybody's in love with him. Oh, yeah, he black. He black. That's our brother. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Excuse me. So, I mean, I can't even knock the Republican Party because I actually respect them for not pandering us. I actually appreciate that. Because if that's what it takes to get our vote, the hell would I vote. What do you mean you about to go and tell people you got high sauce in your bag? You're going to give welfare checks. Oh, we're going to play basketball at the White House. I mean, how stupid does that make us as a people? That's the, that, that, All you got to do is go on Breakfast Club, tell us if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, and that's enough to get the black vote with no results. What the hell does that say about us as a people? That was crazy when I saw that Biden comment. So I really, crazy. I was like, how does that dude come back from that? And somehow and he, came he did. <laughs> I know, he somehow he did. Back, girl. He came back. Oh, man. That's crazy. Black folks are not offended. 
offended by that. They weren't upset about that. It's like all you got to do is get Beyonce and Jay-Z to do a concert for you. And, oh, man, do you remember when the, the presidential primary campaigns was happening? Mm-hmm. And the guy Bloomberg, I think, he had juvenile. Oh Go my goodness! Back that thing. Back up. that ass up. One oh of my one my of my favorite God. songs, by the way, when I was in college. But that's not necessarily appropriate for a presidential primary uh, uh, event. <laughs> clearly, but the sad part is, black people fall for it, Melissa. That's the issue. Okay, so is is this based on? I heard somebody talk about this. Is this based on the concept of social currency in the black community? I think so. I think for, for, for black folk, we've been so brainwashed by ourselves that um, for us, if you, if you feel, if you, if you act cool like we do, if you know how to vibe like black folk vibe, oh man, he cool. He a cool white dude. He white. He might even be racist, but he say, you know, back that thing. Up. All right, he cool. We'll vote for him. Nothing about what he can do for our economy how we can make money, none of that matters. Why? Because if you were, um, you got to remember, this is a gender generation of people that were raised off of the stability, raised off of government. This stability came from government, okay? So there's really no standard for them to have. And I'm not saying all black folk when I say this, because sure, there are working class black folk and they will say the same thing that I'm saying. But for the ones grown up in the inner city, raised off of government, those are the ones that, that, that really have other ones making their voice known in a sense. And they don't they don't really have a standard. But when you are a working class person, you got to work for everything you 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 own. You need government that's going to implement laws to help you further your cause of being an entrepreneur and things like that. That back that as AZZ up is not enough for me. That's insulting to me. First mm-hmm. of all, what you, you're going to play back that. I just asked you how you're going to what you're going to do for me to get lower taxes so I could make more money for my business. And you respond to me with back that as up. <laughs> Especially that dude Bloomberg. I mean, he is like the least like hip person that you can imagine (laughs) oh goodness I mean and so this is the thing that you know that gets me is that if you're using that social currency and if that is what you find valuable but it's not solution based it's not actually based on what can change for the future how do people get that message? Because I hear a lot of people that criticize black conservatives from saying, you know what, you grew up in a middle class situation. You you don't know about inner city life, so you can't speak to it. But then I've also met many that have. And I think you've talked about it before, understanding those communities and still coming out of it with this same belief system that you have. OK, so I'm going to break that down. Number one, I'm like you said, I'm from the inner city. But this is the thing. Once upon a time in the black community, if you were even seen with food stamps, it was shameful. You were picked on, believe it or not. Back then, my, I remember my dad told me a story of how my grandma had food stamps, right? And he sent, she would send him to the store to get, you know, cheese, milk, the basics. Um, and he would be so embarrassed because he would walk to the store and as soon as he would pull out that food stamp card, people would like pick on him like his friends would laugh because because back then if you're getting food stamps from the government you were technically considered poor right right so it was a reason to get picked on because again you were considered poor so that there was a time when 
you know, it was kind of shameful to be poor. And it was even more shameful to depend on the government. Mm-hmm. What happened? We allowed this type of lifestyle to be okay and actually praised. Mm. Certain things that used to be in the back, back in the days, and even if you're white, you can agree with me. There was a certain standard, like back in the days, you couldn't just sleep with any time they can hear you and get pregnant back in the days. You were frowned upon. Mm-hmm. If you were sleeping around and got pregnant, you can't sent to the South with your grandma somewhere. Right. I'm saying like there, there were certain things that just were not okay. They were frowned upon. Now we're living in a day where they're no longer frowned upon and seen as okay. But for me, when I speak, I make sure that I, I, I speak truth. I speak facts, but I speak that this is frowned upon. There is nothing funny or cute about the fact that you depend on the government. Now, don't get it twisted. I grew up off of it, too. My mom worked at a fried chicken joint as a manager and, of course, had to be on welfare because she didn't make enough money with five kids. But my mother told me, as soon as you get an opportunity, you get off of welfare. You never depend on welfare. This is what my mom said to me. And it was even embarrassing for her to have to be at some office telling somebody all of her business just so she can get a food stamp card, having people come in her home and check her home as if she was a child, all for the sake of some government benefits. Uh, Back in the days, this type of stuff used to be frowned upon. And until, uh, for me personally, when I speak on it, I say, listen, I understand I've been there and done that. But for you to make an excuse and continue to live like this and even co-sign it, shame on you. You can't say shame on me because I didn't grow where you went. No, 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 no. For you to even co-sign it. And basically, you're treating these white liberals the same way. Uh, you're treating these black people the same way white people, white liberals treat them. Basically, you're co-signing that they're just lesser than. They can never get up, so they need this. Because obviously, they can never get up. Right. And so this leads me to this idea of privilege that we talked about on the Facebook Live, because this is another buzzword right now. It was a buzzword four years ago again, but now it's it's resurfaced. And I'm seeing people I know, people I know that are clinging on to the idea of white privilege as if they are proud of it and proud of the fact that they need to feel this guilt for being privileged and they just need to accept this and this is the state of the world. And you and I had talked on that Facebook Live about if you are saying you are privileged, you are saying somebody else is less privileged. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You, you're basically, uh, it, like you said, it's a, it's a, what do you call it, virtual signaling. Right. You're trying to be fake concerned because, oh my God, someone else doesn't have what I have. We need to feel sorry for them. And so then what you find is black folk saying the same thing. Well, you know, we don't really got what they got. So we need someone else to come in and do A, B, C, and D for us because, again, we don't got what they got, and it's hard. So we need, you know what I'm saying? It's, this, it's that same pandarism, just in different ways, but it's the same agenda. But it's harmful, extremely harmful, because it's literally killing mm-hmm. that willpower, that desire, that want for success in your life and the ability to think you can achieve whatever you can achieve because it's putting a damper on it at a young age. It's not allowing young men and women in the black community to feel like, no, no, I'm not hampered by anything. I can achieve anything I want to. Instead, like you're saying, they almost accept that 
as just the way the world is. And it's dangerous because how can you see the black community move forward if the mentality is we'll never be able to move forward because we're always at a disadvantaged position? Exactly. And the thing is, with that, you will never move forward. You're right. It will never happen. You will always have an excuse as to why you are lesser than someone else. And you will even fix your mouth to agree that you are just lesser than someone else. And you just never be better. You can never be better. So there's no hope. So then the question is this, if this is an agenda in the first place, how the heck are they still using a, a Democrat party to vote for them? Y'all are already hopeless. You feel like there's no way out. So, so how is it that it's still a plight for the Democrat Party to use to get votes? That's the part that bothers my mind. That makes sense. So, in, in other words, we, it's been decades now, and the in, the message has always been black people are not at the level of equality and the level of achievement that they should be, so vote for us. But then that's the same message four years later, four years later, four years later, four years later, four years later. Four years later. Exactly. So isn't it like, well, if you know that and we're voting for you, how come you haven't done anything about it? Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people are putting that together either, because you're right. How can you have Biden at this point out campaigning, talking about how black people need to be moved forward in society at this point with all of these years of Democrats being, quote unquote, in control of the black community? And the crazy part is this. Biden is the reason why so many black people are in jail right now. Is this based on his older policies? Yes, it is. That crime on, what was it, uh, war on drugs bill that he put in, that Bill Clinton, you know, went forward with, uh, he wrote that bill. He is the reason why so many black people are in jail right now. I, I remember I read a story when I was about 15 years old about a woman who got caught with a gram of crack and did 17 to life in jail for a gram of crack. There was a time where they were not, they were not budging. You get caught with a little piece of crack, you get in a record. And then this is also that three strikes you're out thing. Right. There was a time when you got three felonies, you were going to jail for life. A felony could be you stealing from a store over a thousand dollars. Like, so let's just say you steal a, something that's worth either a thousand dollars or more. Off top, that's a felony. If you do that three times on three different occasions, you're spending the rest of your life in jail. Tell me that's not crazy. And you think in the end, this is basically targeting members of the black community. 100%. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when a community of people have nothing to live for, they find themselves in mischief. So it's not so much so. Uh, it's like, it, again, it's the Democrats building the agenda and executing. So we've already built up and established that they depend on us. They don't have no time for work and taking care of their kids because we're their mommy and their daddy and their work, right? So men, of course, need something to get into. Since they didn't have no jobs to get into, they're not even taking care of their kids, what they did. They put on red flags, blue flags, gangbanging, okay? So they have more than enough time to do the stupidest thing you, things you can possibly think of because men, again, like to be in stuff, like to be doing stuff. But if you are not in certain good things, what you going to end up in? Mm -hmm. And so now, listen, there's a lot of crime. There's a lot of things going on. We need to fight the same crime that they helped generate. So with that being said, all right, good. Now we're going to implement this. If they get in trouble three times, three different felonies, and it could be small things, but we can say they're a felony, y'all going to go to jail for the rest of your life. So if you made three, basically, mis uh, technically stealing something over $1,000 is really a misdemeanor. I mean, it's not like you just did a white-collar crime and stole like 
$50,000 is a theft. It's a misdemeanor. It does need to be addressed, but it's not a felony. It's more so a misdemeanor. But if you do that three times, you're going to jail for the rest of your life. And, and I, what I've also heard, so I, I recently interviewed a law enforcement officer who works outside of Chicago who was basically talking about how the prison system is literally set up for younger black men to fail because it is set up for those jails to stay full. Yes. Let me tell you how real it is. Back in the day, even, because remember this war on crime, it was, it, was, it was federal. It wasn't just state by state. It was federal. So a lot of Republican states, what they would do is, okay, if these men get go to jail, we're going to implement these programs in jail. You could get your GED in jail. You could go to college in jail. You can get a trade in jail. By the time you got out of jail, you could be the most educated and traded up person in the world, start your own business and never go back. They, certain states strip all of those programs. So now, and if you ever look at what programs set up these black folk to fail, guarantee you it's in a Democrat-ran state. That same thing I said about like this, uh, this injustices, black people getting murdered. I tell people all the time, don't look at what's happening. Look at why it's happening. And also look at the state you're in. These, are grand, these states are so blue that people are grandfathered in. And no one's going to ever look at Republicans. They don't even want to think about Republicans. They always vote Democrat. But in these states, they've gotten rid of trade. They've gotten rid of getting your GED. They've gotten rid of everything. So if you go to jail, you're going to sit there, do absolutely nothing with yourself. And then when you get out, you're going to get out with nothing and go right back. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And, you know, I haven't even thought about connecting between blue states and red states as it relates to some of these policies. But it's definitely raising my red flags as I hear more and more about some of these programs, some of these policies. And again, being in blue states, it's like, why would the Democrat Party then assume and expect the black community to vote for them and continue voting for them if they knew what was really happening on this other side of it? The the thing is, they will never, ever, ever let them know. I'm going to tell you how real it is. That video I just did that went viral, uh, a guy named Roland, oh, what's his last name? Black guy, he used to be a, a CNN commentator. Roland, dang, I can't even remember his last name. I didn't know who he was. But uh, he did a video to dissect my video, right? Okay. Uh, a 30-minute panel on dissecting that two-minute video that went viral. And this, wait, tell everybody, this is a video, is this a video you took when you were in Seattle? The video I took in, C- in Seattle, yes. Uh, the two-minute clip that was that went super duper viral, right? This man, who is a commentator and also a Democrat, went and did a panel uh, to try to dissect this video and debunk what I said to fact check you. Uh, fact check me. He never refuted me with facts. He refuted me with emotion and opinion based off of the black community, right? No mm-hmm. facts. They never, they never really do. Let's be real. They can never really give you solid facts, so they'd be lying, right? So this man is what I call a token Negro. He is the guy designed to turn, if ever the blacks look a certain way, your job is to get them to turn back to you. So you need to do whatever by any means necessary to shut down their free think and their critical think and tell them, no, you black and we vote Democrat. And guess what? They um, they want to see you back in chains. Don't start looking over there and looking over there and don't start doing all that. You might end up back in chains. 
and black folk being so emotional, what we do. You hear racism and change, you go crazy. They, so they call anybody a racist. You got white people, you got a full live white woman will sit in your face and then talk to another white woman and say, well, you're just a white racist. Wait a minute, but you're white too. You get up there like, that's kind of crazy. Okay, let's wrap this episode up here so that we can bring in our next episode, episode two with Bevelyn Beatty in a few days where you guys can hear more from her. She is awesome. I really like what she shares. I like the way she shares it. I know you guys are loving this as well. So tune in next time to catch the rest of this interview. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd.